0: Good evening and welcome to Steadfast. I am so glad to be here with you as we continue our journey through Philippians chapter 4. We're almost all the way through the book and we're coming to the end. What we find in Paul's letters and in ancient letters in general is a period of time that's devoted at the end of the letter to to greet those who are receiving it. And oftentimes if it was someone like Paul, we know that Paul often used a scribe to write down what he had to say in his letters, and oftentimes this would be a spot where Paul would take over because he wanted people to know that it had that personal touch, that he really was there, and so he would greet people, and if you've read through some of Paul's letters, you know that oftentimes he'll greet all sorts of people as part of that. He does something a little different here, and I believe it is intentional. He wants to to make a point about how the church is meant to be. So we're going to think about that tonight, how we think of ourselves as not just a church, but the church. And as we think about that, let's ask God to help us see where maybe we're missing that. Maybe we've sort of drifted away. Like we we say, well, of course, all believers are part of the church. And I see the broader church as the church. And yet we have sort of slowly over time changed. Things have shifted a little on us and Suddenly we're dividing up and we don't even realize it. So let's ask God to help us to see that in our own lives and in the life of our church as we go about his business, that we would be aware of that and we'd fight that tendency and we would seek the unity of the church. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this evening and for your word. And Lord, we pray that as we come before it, as we come before you, that you would help us to see your truth in it that you'd help us to see how you call us to be the church, together with our brothers and sisters in Christ around the globe. Would you help us not to miss that? Lord, would you help us to to cling to that every single day, that we would present the unity of your body, that, that the world would see that and want to be a part of it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I was struck thinking back to growing up in a church that said the Apostles' Creed every week. It's a wonderful creed. It goes over so many important things that we confess as Christians. And I like the idea of saying it on a regular basis. We haven't done that at least to this point at Little Hills, but it's a wonderful thing because what it encourages us to do is think about the truth that unites us as believers. The Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, these things are designed to speak to the unity of the church. And part of what is confessed in those creeds is the belief in the one Holy, sometimes it's translated Catholic or universal church. They mean the same thing. The word Catholic or Catholos means universal. And so when millions of Christians around the world say that, whether they're Protestant or Orthodox or Catholic, what are they confessing? They're confessing that Jesus has united us together as one body. And so we'd say that every week, but the question was, did we actually live it? And this is the more challenging thing. I was really struck by this and thought about it more after starting seminary. I switched denominations. as in a denomination that liked to say the word Catholic there rather than universal. And so as we said that, they weren't the Roman Catholic Church, incidentally. So it was a little striking at first. Oh, we're saying Catholic, but that's not what I'm used to. And we'd have people come, and they weren't used to it, and they'd ask about it. So we talked about this. And the question was, did the rubber meet the road? If we were confessing that we were part of the Catholic Church, the universal church, and we were actually even having to talk about it because of that word there, were we actually doing it? later on, I look back and I realized that in seminary, even though we talked about this and we confessed this, that we basically stayed completely within our little denominational lane when we when we looked at different theological works. And generally speaking, the most outside of that we got is a few people you just can't help but love as a Christian in the 21st century or the 20th century, such as C.S. Lewis. Okay, he's he's not in that same tradition I was in, but C.S. Lewis. So we confessed the Catholic Church. We talked about that, but were we doing it? And that's a challenge for each and every one of us, because as we get into our church comfort zone, whether it's the, the style of worship or the particular answers to theological questions that are debated between Christians of good faith, we can kind of want to stay in our little box, our little way of doing things. And that really, I think, boils down to something that's very much a part of our human nature. We love clicks. We love finding a little place where we click in with other people that are very much like us. We do that even once the church gets a little bigger. Within a single church, we find the other people who care about decorating the church or taking care of the the outside of the church or doing outreach or doing this or doing that. And we realize all these things need to be part of the body. We talked about that a few weeks ago on Sunday night. And yet we kind of want to gravitate towards the people that are in our lane. So we end up in these narrower and narrower categories. And we identify ourselves ultimately with those divisions. Maybe we identify ourselves with American evangelical Christianity. And so we think about how do we do it in the United States? And we see even someone who agrees with us on all kinds of things, but from a different part of the world. And, And we struggle because it looks different. It sounds different than what we're used to. They dress different. They think different on things that aren't necessarily about theology. We find our little spot and we want to cling to it. As Paul addresses the people, he doesn't give them little spots. He addresses them all. And that's what we see as we turn now to Philippians chapter 4. Paul writes, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. Notice what Paul says there. He, he's writing to the leadership of the church, at least in part we learn at the beginning of the letter, but he's really writing to the whole church. And here he wants to make that clear. Everyone in the church is important. Contrary to what we sometimes see in Paul's letters where he'll single out certain people that he knows particularly well, here's a church that he's been with from the beginning. He he knows the people as a whole. He doesn't want to just single out the important Christians. He wants everyone to know that he wants to greet them. And in that, he chooses not to do like you do at the Academy Awards or something and go on five minutes trying to name everybody and still inevitably forgetting somebody. the The infamous problem if you... Give an award speech i haven't had to do that most of us haven't but we we know it because it's kind of funny as people try to go through it and figure out how do i make sure to know everybody that somehow got me to this place well what place is paul and paul's in a place where he loves these people these are people who are fellow workers of christ with him all of them and they've shared in the gospel and the hope of it with him and, and the last thing he wants to do is leave anybody out greet everyone that that's what paul wants to make Sure, they do. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Key thing there is the way he phrases that. It's not just every person. It's every saint in Christ Jesus. Because Jesus is the one who makes them important. Jesus is the one that unifies them together. And the reason why Paul, even when he's not in Philippi, even if he's never in Philippi again, he's still part of the same church with them. They don't have to look and say, well, Paul, you haven't attended the Philippian church, first church of Philippi, in at least 10 years now. You aren't a member in good standing any longer. Maybe you should transfer your membership to a different church. No, they're not talking in those sorts of terms. Paul's thinking in terms of these are people who are in the book of life with him. And he loves them and he wants to greet every single one of them. And he wants to greet them as the holy ones, the saints of Jesus, because what unifies them is the savior. And what unifies us is the savior. We're unified together whether we're attending physically together on Sunday nights at Little Hills, whether we're online together on Sundays and Mondays and throughout the week, whether we're in different churches entirely, but we confess Jesus, we are together because we're in Christ Jesus. And that's what Paul wants to make sure is very clear in this greeting. And I I again think that this is not not something that Paul's just doing because he's in a particularly different mood or something. But as he's been talking through what the church looks like to the Philippians, to these people that he knows, they really do get the gospel and they they really do want to follow Jesus faithfully. He wants to model that there shouldn't be these divisions. And that even comes down to divisions such as leadership divisions. He doesn't say, to all the elders and deacons of the church of Philippi, I greet you. And, And by the way, you know, those other people that are attending too, they're, they're nice, say hi to them. No, he wants to greet everyone because everyone is in Jesus. And when we're talking about our status before Jesus, it doesn't matter if we're an elder or a deacon or a pastor or a missionary or a teacher or a musician or or whomever. Whatever you do in the church of Jesus, if you're doing it as his servant. If you're doing it because you've trusted in him, you are a part of his people. We are a part of his people together. Take a look back at Philippians chapter 1 verses 16 to 18. Paul, if you recall, that we looked at this last winter and Paul talks about different motivations going on in the people doing ministry in the church. And he says, the latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. Paul's going to rejoice no matter what it is that the circumstances that, that brings together the body of Christ. And, and here he's not just addressing people who have slightly different preferences about how to do church, but he's talking about those who have fashioned themselves into opponents of Paul. People who are preaching the gospel, sometimes out of a direct motive to take advantage of the fact that Paul is imprisoned. And so they can become more important and say, well, why are you paying attention to that Paul guy? He's in prison. We're out actually doing the ministry of the church. Pay attention to us instead. And Paul says, even with those people, even if they're doing it out of terrible motives, I'm going to rejoice at what they're doing. And I'm going to rejoice at the people who come to faith through them, because how wonderful it is that more people are in the kingdom. Paul doesn't care who it is that the people belong to. He simply wants people to know Jesus and to to know what God is doing and to then be part of this wonderful thing we call the church. Take a look back at 1 Corinthians 3, 4 through 5. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. Paul says, yeah, there were different people that have ministered to you throughout your lives. Some of you have been ministered to more by one person than the other, but we're all working together because we're not building our churches. We're not building our little kingdoms. We are building the kingdom, the one that that Jesus sent us to go do. And that is what we can't forget as we, we wrestle with this and we try to figure out what it is that we're supposed to be. And we start to think, well, maybe we can define ourselves better if we we stick to ourselves and we have a clear identity separate from the rest of the church. And there's nothing wrong with Little Hills or any other church knowing this is what we're meant to be. God's placed us in this spot to do this ministry. But as we do that, let's keep thinking in terms like we talked about a few weeks ago of the hands and the feet and so on. Let's not be thinking in terms of separate bodies that are detached from each other. Let's actually return there just for a moment. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 12. Paul says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, free or slaves, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Paul wants us to think in terms of a cohesive whole. Yes, there are different parts. Yes, we have unique gifts. Yes, we, we bring different things to the table, as it were. We we bring different things to the body. But let's not see ourselves as divided. And let's keep the goal in mind where jesus really wants us to be going not get distracted by trying to build our little kingdom that ultimately destroys the mission of the church because when we're trying to build our own kingdom and make that the thing we don't realize how we're slowly losing our focus and the little bits of what's really important are being chipped away remember this place i loved this place. This was my favorite sub shop, Quiznos. They, they had those wonderful toasted subs. You get the hickory smoked chicken and the bacon and the sharp cheddar cheese all in a nice toasted mmm toasty as they would say sandwich. It was delicious and at the time you couldn't go to Subway or someplace else and get a toasted sub. It was great. But if you tried to order a Quiznos sub anytime in the recent past, at least around here you'd have to drive over an hour to find one because there are so few left. I hadn't ever heard why it was that it was so hard to get a Quiznos sub now, and then I stumbled across a fascinating story about it. The The original owners had grown Quiznos into a multi-sub-shop franchise system, but still a small one, and, and then they sold it to someone else who grew it into a bigger one. But the problem was, I suppose the owners felt like they weren't making enough money off of the franchise royalties. And they wanted to, to find a way to increase their revenue so they, they didn't want to just franchise the brand. They wanted to become the sole supplier of all the products sold in a Quizno shop. So they forbid at some point the franchisees from, from buying the different ingredients they needed from the cheapest available place. They had to buy it through Quizno's division that became a food wholesaler in addition to a franchise operation. And basically what it boiled down to is once the franchisees had to go there, they started charging more for the prices of the ingredients and started to squeeze franchisees out of business because they were no longer focused on being able to market their subs. They were trying to figure out how in the world to make any money off of it as they paid all this this exorbitant price on food to this new distribution company that Quiznos had. And Quiznos had lost sight of what it was trying to do. It was trying to be a franchise sub-shop system, and it wanted to instead become essentially sort of like a a wholesale grocery store to to these little sub-shops. And in that, it went from being a sub-shop that had expanded to 2,000 shops, and it was still growing at this point, so it hit 4,000, to now today there are only 200. Why? Because they made it so that the shops couldn't even really prosper. They couldn't make the money they needed to stay open. So now you can't just go and get one of those delicious toasty subs because they'd lost sight of what was working and what they were called to be, a franchise system, not a food wholesaler. We often forget in the church what we're called to be, and we start trying to build up our little side business of food wholesale distribution, of church wholesale distribution. Ah, I want my denomination. I want my my favorite teachers. I want my my particular style, to be the sole distributor to legitimate churches. And and we may not say it in such stark terms, but that's how we think. We say, well, there are lots of different churches, but if someone asks me, is there a good church, I'm going to make sure, even if they have to drive by a bunch of Bible-believing churches, they need to go to one that's like the kind that I like to shop at, as it were. And we forget what we're really meant to do, to go and make disciples. Let's just return to the very thing that Jesus tells us we're supposed to do. Let's go back to the Great Commission for a moment. Notice what Jesus says is our mission. He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus doesn't say, go and make your kingdom. Go and build a really successful local church. Go and build a successful denomination or theological movement or, or publishing industry or, or podcast or whatever. He says, go and make disciples. In other words, go and build my kingdom. It's all about Jesus. And, and so what we need to do is not lose sight like Quiznos did and, and end up losing even what was good about what they were trying to promote. Because there's a lot good in, in our local churches. There's so much good in different theological movements and denominations, and so much that we can learn from each other. There are places where one gets things right and another gets things wrong. It's not about discounting truth. And and, and certainly there are times where some are, are just completely missing certain things. It's about strengthening each other, though, and not becoming so narrowly focused that we start to find even standing up for the truth as an excuse to quit trying to stand together. Let's look again at at Philippians 4, second half of verse 21 and into 22. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Notice here that not only is that important unity there in who is being greeted, but also whom it is that's doing the greeting. It's Paul's associates. He mentions those, the, the brothers, and that seems to have in mind those who who are actually actively working with Paul, and he wants to include them in on, on this whole greeting together thing. But he doesn't want to just stop there either. He wants to make it clear everyone that's with him in Rome, all the brothers and sisters in Christ, they're sending their greetings to Philippi because they're brothers and sisters in Christ. They're the family of God together. And, and so he goes so far even to note something that's really exciting that that maybe we just pass up but seems directly tied to his imprisonment, and that's that even the household of Caesar is sending his greetings. Now, we might say, does that mean that the emperor actually had family that had converted? Not necessarily that. It'd be wonderful if he did, and and there may have been that, but the household of Caesar actually referred to all the civil servants that worked for the emperor, And, and perhaps even not just in Rome, but all around the Roman Empire. And so what we see here is that Paul's saying, I can send you greetings even from the household of Caesar because through all these circumstances, people opposing me, people working with me, me being imprisoned, the gospel is advancing. And that's what I'm excited about. And that's what I want you to know about. That's what Paul's saying to them. If you think about people all around the empire being a part of that household of Caesar, sending greetings They've talked to Paul and they want those greetings passed on to their brothers and sisters in Christ in Philippi. They may know them, they may not. Some of them probably had come from Philippi or had served in Philippi and so they would actually know each other, others maybe only by extension, but all of them are part of that greeting together because they are part of the one body of Christ together. And the key thing is part of this probably wouldn't have even happened if Paul hadn't been imprisoned because what happens when he's imprisoned? Well, If you recall back in chapter 1, Paul says this. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Notice what Paul says here. Yes, it's the case I'm imprisoned. Yes, these other bad things have happened. But notice, because I'm imprisoned, I'm able to preach the gospel to people. And others are being emboldened to preach the gospel. And Paul comes back to that here at the end in just a subtle note. There are people in Caesar's household. They're now their brothers and sisters in Christ that he can pass along greetings from. Here's the amazing thing. This greeting that he's passing along is from everyone to everyone. From all the Christians there in Rome and working with Paul, maybe even far beyond Rome, to everyone that is in Philippi because they're not the important Christians to the important Christians or the Christians that have the right clothing or the, or, or the right denominational belonging or the right local church style or, or, or alleged non-style. What it really comes down to is really simple. They're the saints. They're the holy ones. It comes down to that they are made holy in Christ. If we think about that word saint, that's what it means. Someone who's made holy. Someone who's set apart. How are we set apart? We're set apart in Jesus. Just exactly what Paul said in verse 21. We are set apart to be his people. And so everyone greets everyone. Somehow we lose that. Somehow it just slowly, gradually changes and we don't even realize it. You may have noticed I've had a slight change just over the course of this message. And if you have, I'll be anxious to look in the, the chat and see if anyone noted it earlier or later, but, but it was maybe subtle at first. And we think about those sorts of changes. They sneak up on us. Sometimes they sneak up on us through some other circumstance. For example, those of you that know me know I don't normally have a beard, but I had one because I'd gotten chicken pox and I couldn't shave, and so there I had a beard. And it just sort of was there through a circumstance I didn't see coming. Sometimes we divide as the body of Christ through circumstances we we don't see coming. Some tragedy happens, some challenge happens, and we go with those who are dealing with it. And all of a sudden we realize we're apart from the broader body. Sometimes it's just a change like over the course of the last few minutes that, that something starts to disappear a little here, a little there. And we don't even realize it's disappearing until a lot's gone. Too often the unity of the body of Christ is what's disappearing. And may we be those who are constantly seeking to bring it back, to grab onto it. Because what matters is that each one who is in Jesus is a holy one. Each one who is in Jesus is our brother and our sister in Christ. And the last thing we want is division from them. Because when we hold on to them, we speak something beautiful to the world. And that world then can see something beautiful that they need to. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, would you help us? We we lose sight little changes here and there, and we don't even realize what's happening. And the next thing we know, we're, we, even as we profess that we want to be part of the one universal church, the one Catholic church, that instead we find ourselves in our little division and, and finding a reason to divide from everybody else. Lord, would you help us to stand for truth? Yes, we should do that. Would you help us to, to seek the truth and and to to try to draw each other to it. But as we do that, would you not let us use that as an excuse for division? Would you help us, even as we sometimes wrestle with other Christians who who disagree on some things, but confess you and know you and know your gospel that, Lord, what we wouldn't do is seek to be divided from them. But we would yearn, if anything, to be more and more in partnership with them, more and more a family with them, because that is exactly what you've made us. And if someone listening tonight isn't yet a part of that family, as as he or she thinks about the beauty of being united with you and with your body, Lord, would you help it to actually look beautiful to that person? Would you call that person into your kingdom? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I hope this was an encouragement to you. We have one more week in Philippians before we wrap up the whole book. Next week, we look at the blessing that Paul gives the people as he parts, this letter as he finishes it, and we'll kind of pull all the pieces together. So I hope you'll join me for that. In the meantime, if this has been an encouraging message to you, please do give it a like, give it a share, follow us or subscribe to the channel, depending on how you're following this video. All these things, these social media terms and acts, Yeah, they're just part of social media, but there's so much more because there are people on social media and you can help get the word out. If there's any way I can be praying for you, if you have any questions, feel free to shoot a text to our new texting line that you can see on screen, 833-356-4032. It'd be great to hear from you and to pray for you or leave a prayer or a question or a comment in the comments below. Hope you have a wonderful and blessed week and I'll see you again very soon.